of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue together our study of Second Corinthians. Tonight, through the grace of God, we will study chapter 2. In chapter 1, there was a question about the integrity of St. Paul because after he decided to stop by Corinth, he changed his path. So some people were questioning his integrity. Why he changed his plan to visit them? So in this chapter, St. Paul first continues to defend his integrity by explaining that the change of his plans was an effort to prevent his coming to them in sorrow. And I will tell you why he, he said this. So basically, he told them, I changed my plan in order not to come to you in sorrow, but in joy. Uh, actually, he explained to, this, to them that his previous letter was written for that same reason. And with the anguish of heart, he rebuked them for the many problems that they had. And he was expecting a change of attitude. He was expecting repentance. Because if he went to them while they are still suffering from the same problems, still having the same attitude without repentance, then actually this visit will be a visit of rebuke, a visit of sorrow. But he wanted them to change and repent, so when he visits them, the visit will be a visit of joy, and they can rejoice together. And speaking of grief, he reminds them that the one who caused most of it had properly repented after the disciplinary action after his excommunication and now they should be careful to forgive and comfort that person there was a person in Corinth who actually committed adultery with his father's wife and St. Paul rebuked them in chapter 5 from the first letter about this and he excommunicated this person. And now he is telling them that this person responded positively and he repented. That's why they should forgive him and accept him in the communion and fellowship of the church. Also in this chapter, St. Paul explained to them that he himself was willing to forgive this person, because he knew how Satan could easily take advantage of this situation. Uh, and I will explain to you how Satan may take advantage if we, did, if we don't accept the person back in the church. Then from verse 12 to verse 13, he reveals to them 
the anxiety of trying to find Titus. Actually, Titus was to bring to St. Paul news about the Church of Corinth. How they reacted to his letter. How they responded to the, the letter in which he rebuked the Corinthians. And he was, uh, the plan was to meet Titus in Terwas. And when actually St. Paul went to Terwas, although the Lord opened a big door for him, for service and mission, but because he didn't find Titus, and thus he did not know any news about Corinth, his heart and his spirit did not have rest. That's why he went to Macedonia to meet Titus there. Then actually, in chapter 7, in chapter 7, he explained to them that when he met Titus, he was comforted by the good news that Titus brought to them, brought to him about the people in Corinth. But at this point, St. Paul in, the, in chapter 2 began actually to defend his ministry as an apostle of Christ. With thanks to God, St. Paul describes the triumphant nature of his ministry. He said that his ministry is a ministry of victory. But who is the leader? The leader is not St. Paul. The leader is God. God who leads all of us in a victory procession. And, and he had in mind the procession of triumph that he saw in Greece, and I will speak about this procession. In this procession, actually, they used to have incense. So the people, when they smell the incense from afar, they knew that the procession is approaching. And St. Paul, carrying this image in his mind, he spoke to them how we, the Christian, are the fragrance of Christ, are the incense of Christ, are the sweet aroma of Christ. And he told them something, maybe for the first impression, we don't understand it, but through the grace of God, we'll explain it tonight. He said, this fragrance of Christ is an aroma of life to those who are saved, but aroma of death to those who are perishing. So how the fragrance of Christ becomes an aroma of death, this is what St. Paul explained to us in this chapter from verse 14 to verse 16. Then actually he concluded this chapter by saying that he knew for sure his own insufficiency for such ministry, to be the fragrance of Christ. Uh, but he is not uh, mixing the pure teaching of Christ with impure tradition. Like those actually who mix the wine 
with like water in order actually to make gain. And St. Paul was comparing himself with the false teachers. The false teacher, uh, especially the Judaizers, those who want to bring the Jewish tradition into Christianity. But he said, we actually preach the word of God with sincerity and with awareness that it comes before God and they are accountable before the sight of God to preach the pure teaching without any corruption. This is actually the summary of this chapter, but now we can start verse by verse to understand this chapter. Verse 1, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. The word again here is very important. I determined within myself that I would not come again to you in sorrow. As I told you, the desire of St. Paul was not to come to rebuke, but to go to them and rejoice with them. That's why he changed his plan and waited until they repent and they change their attitude. So when he visits them, he will visit them uh, and rejoice with them. Not to rebuke them, not to make them sorrowful, but to rejoice with them. But actually, the word again, I would not come again to you, means that there is a time when he visited them in heaviness of heart. Actually, this visit uh, was not recorded to us in the book of Acts. But the, the word again in this verse implies that St. Paul uh, probably visited them while he was preaching at Ephesus, running across the sea maybe for two or three days for a short visit. And there are actually some other verses that support this visit, like Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, and verse 21, and Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. So, from these verses, we can conclude that St. Paul visited them and rebuked them. And this visit was like a heavy visit, a visit of sorrow and grief, because he rebuked them. That's why he changed his plan. He didn't want to go them again in heaviness, but he wanted to visit them after they repent, so they will have joyful time together. Uh, verse 2. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? St. Paul actually is responding to some speculation here. If someone may say that this is not his reason to change his plan, maybe some, some people will say, 
No, this is not enough reason to change your plan. Uh, since actually, you showed no regret in causing heaviness and causing sorrow in your visit while you were in Ephesus. So, maybe some people will question St. Paul and question his integrity and tell him, but the last visit you came to us, actually, you made us sorrowful and you rebuked us and you made us heavy. So, this is not the real reason that you want to come us and uh, rejoice with us. But the answer of St. Paul is in verse 2, if I give you one to cause you sorrow, it is not that I have any pleasure in doing so. If I made you sorrowful, be assured that I have no pleasure in making you sorrowful or causing you to grieve. But my object was, he who was made sorry by me should repent, and so make me glad and make all of you glad. So, to make you sorrow is not my goal. To make you grieve is not my goal. But if this is the tool that I should use in order for you to repent, I will use it because I care about your repentance. Then actually when you repent, you will make me glad and also make everybody also glad. So, your sorrow, in a way, gladdens me on account of your repentance. Your sorrow made me glad because by the sorrow you repented. That's what he meant by saying, if I make you sorrowful, then he, who is he who make me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So, my intention is not to make you sorrowful, but my intention is to lead you to repentance, thus you will make me happy and make everybody else happy by your repentance. Verse 3. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy having confidence in you, all that, uh, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. I wrote this very thing. This very thing refers to what? Actually, he refers, he is referring to his delay or postponing his trip or postponing his visit to Corinth. So he told them, I wrote to you about the change of my plans in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5. I wrote to you that I will delay my visit, I will postpone my visit, having confidence that you will repent. Because if I didn't have confidence that you will repent, then there is no reason to change my plan. Maybe I need to come to encourage you to repent. But I have confidence that you will repent, so all of us will rejoice together. And I wrote this very thing to you. Lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom 
I ought to have joy. But why I made this plan? Because I have confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. He trusted that they too would feel that there was sufficient reason for the postponement if, it, if this interferes with their mutual joy. So he told them, I have confidence that you will repent. I have confidence that you will understand why I changed my plan. Because we need to have joyful memories together. So I give you this time to repent. So when I visit you, my visit to you will be a time in which all of us, we will rejoice together. Verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. When St. Paul said, I wrote, he is referring to the first epistle in which actually he rebuked them for their problems, their divisions, their sexual immorality. So he told them, I want you to know, when I wrote this letter to rebuke you, actually I wrote it with tears. I wrote it with anguish of heart. I wrote it with affliction. I wasn't happy to write such a letter to you. So, yes, I wrote sharply, but in great sorrow. And my goal actually was not to grieve you, but my goal to demonstrate my love toward you. My love which was growing abundantly toward you. And that's why because I loved you that much. That's why I rebuked you. Because I couldn't see you living in such sin without leading you to repentance and leading you to a return to God. So this letter, the harsh rebuke, showed you my attentive care of you. Uh, verse 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. If anyone has caused grief, although all the Christians had divisions and split and, and conflict, but St. Paul in this verse was referring to one person whom he excommunicated. The person who committed sexual immorality. So when he said, if anyone has caused grief, the reference here is to, to this person who committed sexual immorality. He said about this person, he has not grieved me. Means what? He did not only grieve me alone, but also he grieved the whole church. The whole church. But he said he grieved you all to some extent. What he meant by to some extent? Because he repented. So the grief was temporary. But if this person, God forbid, did not repent 
then actually the grief would be uh, full. But he told them this grief was to some extent because he repented. And uh, St. Paul said, now I don't want to speak a lot about it. I don't want to speak about his sin, even actually he didn't say he committed sexual immorality. He was covering his sin. So actually he said, I don't want to be too severe on him. Why? Because he has repented. So now there is no reason to be too severe on him. Yes, in my first epistle, chapter 5, I was harsh on him. I excommunicated him. I delivered him to Satan. But now there is no reason to be too severe on him. He repented. That's why he said, to some extent, uh, 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 to some extent, not to be too severe. Verse 6. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. The punishment is referring to the excommunication. And we read about the excommunication in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. And he said, this excommunication was not done only by me, but by the whole church. And let me tell you, excommunication now in our time means the person does not take communion. But the right excommunication which was practiced in the early church meant excommunication means no communication. No communication at all. So the church cannot actually greet this person talk with this person. He was like in total isolation. And this what led this person to repentance. That's why St. Paul told them, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. Because if the people were communicating with him, then the excommunication and they cut all sources of communication with this person. And this in itself led the person to repent. That's why St. Paul told them, you took the action, the whole church took the action. And thus the command of St. Paul was endorsed by the whole church. Uh, and St. Paul now is saying, this punishment is enough for him. Because what is the purpose of punishment? What is the purpose of discipline? It's to lead the person to repentance. And this person repented. So now if he repented, there is no reason for the punishment. The punishment is like medication. And if the medication healed the person, then actually there is no reason to give the medication because the person is healed. That's why in verse 6, St. Paul told them, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. Verse 7, so that, on the contrary, I want you to do exactly the opposite. Before, you had no communication with him. Now, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. 
Now we need actually to do exactly the opposite. Not only to forgive him, not only to accept him, but to show him much love, to comfort him, because I'm concerned lest he will be swallowed up by grief and sorrow. The goal of punishment is not to destroy the person, but the goal of punishment is actually to bring the person to Christ and to bring him to repentance. So as St. Paul firmly commanded excommunication of this person, now tenderly he actually encouraged them to forgive him and to comfort him. And St. Paul, when he punished him, you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. He, when, he punished, he, when he punished him, he explained clearly the goal of punishment is to save him. So the goal of punishment is not to destroy him, but to save him. And here I urge the parents, when actually they discipline their children, to keep this in mind. Discipline to save, not to destroy. I urge the, the father, the priest, and, and, and I urge everybody who is in charge, if you punish, and if you discipline, keep in mind, you discipline and punish, not to destroy, but to save and to lead the person to repentance. Uh, verse, verse 8, Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Now he's urging them to reaffirm uh, their love to him after there was no communication. Now I want you to communicate with him. And not only to communicate, but you communicate lovingly to him. Reaffirm your love to him. So he will know this punishment is not out of hatred, but was out of love. This discipline was not because we hated him, or we judged him, or we condemned him, but it was out of love to bring him to repentance. Verse 9. For to this end, I also wrote, St. Paul now is giving another reason, that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. St. Paul is telling them another reason why you should restore this person. The first person, the first reason actually, lest this person swallowed up because of sorrow. But another reason, I want this to be a proof of your obedience to the church. And why St. Paul actually wanted them to obey him? Is it something related to his ego and his pride? Certainly not. But obeying our father, the priest, obeying our clergy, is a sign actually to our obedience to God. As the Lord said, who will obey you obeys me. Because the rule in the church is not democratic, is not dictatorship. 
The rule in the church is we call it theocratic. Theocratic. Theo from the word theos, God. God is ruling through the clergy. God is ruling through his ministers, through his servants. So our obedience to our clergy is actually our obedience to God. And St. Paul wants to test their obedience. He asked them to excommunicate him. And actually they excommunicated him. But maybe they excommunicated him because he brought shame. So there was like revenge in their heart. And when St. Paul told them excommunicate him, so actually they responded because they want to revenge uh, to avenge this person who brought shame to the church of Corinth. But now St. Paul is testing their obedience. He's asking them to reaffirm their love to him. If actually the excommunication was out of revenge, they wouldn't obey St. Paul. But now, because they were obedient St. Paul, and St. Paul was putting them to test Everybody actually reaffirmed their love to this offender. So, that's why he said, in all things, previously in punishing him, in excommunicating him, now in loving him. So, that's another reason, another reason why I asked you to reaffirm your love to him in order to put your obedience to test. So the first reason, lest this person be swallowed up by sorrow. The second reason, to test their obedience to St. Paul. But there is actually a third reason. In verse 10 he said, Now, who you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Uh, so actually, before I go to verse 10, St. Paul is saying, another reason to delay my visit is I want to, to test your loyalty, your fidelity, and your obedience to me before I come and visit you. Now, he's telling them, as your excommunication of the offender was my act, so also your restoration of him will be my act. If you forgive him, I will forgive him. First, I excommunicated him and you supported me. Now, forgive him and I will support you. That's why he said, it is for your sakes I have forgiven, and I do forgive. And the third reason why he forgave him, that the church may suffer no hurt by the loss of the soul. How St. Paul explained this. Now, when you forgive anything, I also forgive. We work in harmony. If you forgive, I will forgive. If I excommunicate, you will excommunicate. Now, when you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes. Because you forgive him, so I forgive him too. Uh, but what does it mean for your sakes? He will elaborate it 
in, in verse 11, in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. That is the third reason why he forgave that person. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. Meaning what? If the church did not forgive this person, actually, this person will not join the church. If the church continued to excommunicate this person, this person, the church actually would suffer a loss of one person of one person from the hundred sheep, one person is lost. And the Lord actually told us to leave the ninety-nine and search for the lost sheep. So it's all to them that the church may suffer no hurt by the loss of this one soul. And I want you to learn a lesson in compassion. As you learn it, a lesson in faithfulness how to be faithful to Christ and how to excommunicate the person who offended the church now I want you to learn a lesson in compassion how to be compassionate on this person and I am exercising this excommunication and restoration because I am the apostle of Christ I have authority of Christ. That's why he said in the presence of Christ. Because I am representing Christ and actually I am acting by the authority of Christ. Because we are the steward of God. But if you let this person to be lost through despair, actually we are giving Satan a weapon to attack the church. If we, by our repulsive harshness, we did not accept the repentant person, actually we are giving this person to Satan. Remember in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, St. Paul delivered this person to Satan. But he said, I delivered this person to Satan to the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved. What he meant by the destruction of the flesh? Destruction of the flesh, when nobody actually will communicate with this person, this person may suffer grief. But all this grief and suffering will attack his flesh. But this spirit will be yearning for repentance and returning back to God, returning to communion of the church. That's why St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, to the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved. So maybe he's asking the grace of God to be taken away from his flesh. He may suffer some suffering here on earth. Maybe his flesh will suffer from diseases, or he will suffer from some hardships, or he may suffer from some tribulation. And through all this tribulation, besides the excommunication, may he return back to God and repent, so his spirit will be saved. But, if actually they did not accept him, then 
they did not only deliver his flesh to Satan, but they also delivered his soul and his spirit to Satan. And this actually Satan wants. The, the desire of Satan is to, to destroy the spirit also. And if we don't accept the repentant person as if we are giving Satan advantage uh, over us and making Satan overreach us. And St. Paul said, we are not ignorant of his devices. We know very well the plans and the tricks of Satan. We know how Satan actually, uh, how Satan wants to destroy the spirit. And one of the tools to destroy the spirit is despair. That's, uh, that's how actually Satan destroyed the spirit of Judas Iscariot. He made him lose his hope. He made him to fall in despair. So when we refuse to, to accept and to restore the repentant sinner, actually we are making this person to fall in despair. And thus we are giving opportunity to Satan to destroy the, the, the spirit of this person by hopelessness. That's why St. Paul said, that's why I'm asking you to accept him. I'm asking you to accept him and to show him love for three reasons. Number one, lest this person would be swallowed up in sorrow. Number two, to put the to test your obedience. And number three, lest we give advantage to Satan to destroy the, the soul of this person. And what is the goal of the church? The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And actually we should be working with God to save the person, not to destroy the person. And St. Paul, from verse 12, he changing the tone. The tone was about punishment, sorrow, grief, excommunication. But St. Paul, as he said in Romans chapter 8, all things were together for the glory of God. So even this excommunication, even actually this sorrow, to be opportunity for joy. And now actually Satan was defeated. And Christ, through gaining the soul of this person, is victorious. So now the image that St. Paul is giving us is Christ leading us in triumph, in a procession of triumph, and this a victorious procession because we won the soul of this offender. We did not give it opportunity to Satan to win the soul, but Christ won the soul. That's why St. Paul actually is giving uh, thanksgiving to God uh, who actually lead us all the time and all the way in the procession of victory and Verse 12, he said, Furthermore, when I came to Troas, 
to preach Christ's gospel. And a door was opened. A door was opened to me. By the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. St. Paul expected to meet Titus at Troas. As I told you, after he sent the letter to them, the first Corinthian letter, in which he rebuked them harshly, St. Paul was worried how they would receive this letter, how they would react to this letter. So he sent to Titus, and he told him, Titus, meet me at Troas. Bring me news. I want to know how the, the church in Corinth was doing. But he expected to meet him in Troas to receive the news of how they responded to the first letter to Corinthians. But disappointed in his expectation because Titus did not come to Troas. He passed to Macedonia where he met him at last. But he had no rest in his spirit. And actually, this shows us the tender heart of St. Paul. He rebuked, but he was in his heart, had no rest, because these are his children. The person whom he excommunicated is his son. So he, 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 his plan was not to destroy him. He wanted him to, be, to return back to Christ. He had no rest. Many times, maybe a Sunday school servant or as a priest or as parents, we rebuke harshly. And maybe our intention is to bring somebody to Christ. But after this, actually, we totally not communicate with this person. Not asking about him. But this is not the attitude of a real pastor. This is not a, a, the attitude of a real servant of Christ. If you rebuked somebody harshly for his repentance, you should not have rest in your heart like St. Paul until you hear good news of frustration and salvation about this person. Although the Lord opened a door for ministry to St. Paul, but St. Paul didn't have rest in his heart until he knew the good news from Titus. Actually, the book of Acts does not record to us his passing through Teruas in going from Ephesus to Macedonia. But uh, uh, actually, uh, it happened in uh, the book of Acts recording to us how St. Paul stopped in Teruas when he returned from, uh, Macedo uh, from Macedonia. But apparently from this verse that St. Paul actually stopped in Teruas, but he did not meet Titus there, that's why maybe he moved quickly. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we read that he had disciples there in Teruas. So apparently during the time that he visited Teruas, he met some disciples, so when he returned from Macedonia and stopped at Teruas, he met the disciples. Uh, and apparently the Lord opened a door to Titus there, and he was a to St. Paul there, and he was able to convert some people to Christianity.
But here, some people may ask a question, a very important question. The Lord opened a, a door for ministry. So, would it better than Paul to stay at rest and serve? Should he leave this door which the Lord has opened to him for one single person in order to hear news about one single person? And to answer this question, I like to remind you with uh, Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip, how he did a wonderful ministry in Samaria. And there was great joy in the city. Many people converted to Christianity. Even Simon, the sorcerer, believed and was baptized. And we read in Acts chapter 8, there was great joy in that city. But what happened? The Holy Spirit took Philip from this successful ministry and sent him to Gaza, which was a deserted place. Why? For one person, the Ethiopian eunuch. One person. God cares about the single soul as he cares about all of us. For that one person, the Ethiopian eunuch, God asked Philip to leave his, the 99, to leave the successful ministry in Samaria and to go to, for this one person. In the same way, St. Paul here, he left the 99, he left the door was open in Teruaz for one single person. And here I have a word for the father, the priest. As you know, we have some communities and we have established churches. And sometimes the communities have maybe one family, three families, four families. And many times, we the priests, we say, should I leave this church on Friday and Saturday just to go for one family? to go for three families. No, maybe, you know, if I, I, I stay here, it would be more fruitful. That's why many cancellation for the community service happen. But if you think about it, God instructed us to leave the 99 and to search for the one soul. Actually, here the liturgy, we have it in, in, in established churches. We have service every week. We have service sometimes, you know, during the weekdays. But these communities have one single service, maybe once a month. And if you, if you cancel this one service, this means this community will stay two months without one single service. So, if you are tempted, no, I should stay with the bigger church, with the established church, I will bring more fruits here, Remember Acts chapter 8. Remember what St. Paul did. He left Teruas with the open the door there just for one soul. In the same way, actually, we should be motivated to go on, 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 on our schedule on, 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 for the community service in order actually to serve these few families that they have not church close to them. That's why. Though a wide door of Christian usefulness opened 
at Rwas to St. Paul. But his eagerness to hear from Titus the news from Corinth led him not to stay, but hasten to Macedonia to meet Titus there. And when he said, door in the Lord, what he meant by this? He meant door in his work. And this door was opened by the gracious providence of the Lord. It's not by my effort. It's not because I am an eloquent speaker, that's why the door was opened. But this was by the gracious providence of God. And I want to tell you here, St. Paul he said, I had no rest in my spirit. And the spirit of St. Paul is led by the Holy Spirit. So this decision to leave Teruas and to go to Macedonia to meet Titus there was a decision made by the Holy Spirit. Because our spirit are led by the Holy Spirit. That's why under the direction of the Holy Spirit, St. Paul was convinced it's not necessary to stay at Teruas but to go to Macedonia in order to be assured about this person that was, uh, who was excommunicated. Maybe St. Paul needs to go back to Corinth to actually talk to this person or bring him to repentance. Verse, uh, um, verse 14 Verse 13, actually, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. And here, humbleness. Actually, Titus was his disciple, but St. Paul describing him or addressing him as my brother. But taking my leave of him into us, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God. Because now he knew about the victory. Satan did not win this person. Christ wants this person. Thanks be to God, who always, always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Now, thanks be to God. Now, thanks be to God, I met Titus there, and I heard the good news about the repentance of this person, about how the unity was restored in the church of Corinth, how there is no conflict, there is no division, there is no schism there, but everybody is back in union. Now we give thanks to God, actually, who always gave us victory, always gave us victory through Christ in the end. Don't be defeated. Don't lose hope. Because Christ always led us in triumph. If you are abiding in Christ, and Christ abiding in you, regardless what are the challenges before you, regardless what are the obstacles before you, regardless what are the hindrances before you, you will end in victory. You will end in triumph. That's why he said, always, always. God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And St. Paul had in mind the triumphal procession of the victorious generals. 
actually uh, they used, as I told you, to this, uh, to as the approach of the procession was made known by the order of incense. They used actually to scatter incense, so the people when they smell the incense, they knew that the procession is approaching. And uh, Paul is saying, God makes manifest by us the sweet savor of the knowledge of Christ, who is our triumphant conqueror everywhere. What St. Paul means by this? St. Paul said, when the people know us, we are the sweet aroma of Christ. When the people see our repentance, when the people see our unity, when the people see our love for one another, when the people see our communion and our fellowship, and when they smell the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in us, they will believe in Christ. They will believe in the triumphant conqueror who is Christ, who is leading this procession. So St. Paul is saying, we, the Christian, are the incense, the sweet aroma. When the people smell it, they know that Christ is closed to them. The procession of Christ, this victorious procession, is approaching their heart. He's coming to knock on their heart, so they will open their hearts and receive him as their Lord and uh, their Savior. So this procession will not strike their eyes also, but also will strike their nostril. And every sense feels the power of the Christ Gospel. When the people actually smell and lust, the love, the unity, the service, the fellowship, the communion, the humbleness, they will believe in Christ. We, uh, thanks be to God, who always lead us in triumph in Christ, and through us, through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So the knowledge of Christ has fragrance. The knowledge of Christ has a sweet aroma. The knowledge of Christ has good smell. And through us, this aroma is diffused. Through us, the aroma of the knowledge of Christ is spread among the people. Verse, uh, verse uh, 15. For we are to God, the fragrance of Christ. Here's St. Paul saying, we not only scatter the fragrance, but we ourselves are the fragrance of Christ. We not only diffuse the sweet aroma of Christ, but we ourselves are the sweet aroma itself. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. How? How we are the fragrance of Christ 
among those who are saved, that's easy to understand. But how we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are saved? St. John Chrysostom said, this is a quote, As a light, though it blinds in darkness the weak, is for all the light. The people who have weak eyes, actually the light can hurt them and can actually blind them in darkness. But this light is still light. St. John Chrysostom said, And as honey, though it tastes bitter to the sick, is in itself still sweet. In the same way, the gospel is still of sweet savor, though many will perish through unbelieving the gospel of Christ. So, this gospel is a sweet aroma in itself, but for those who reject Christ, those who do not accept him, unfortunately and sadly, this sweet aroma will be odor to death, not to death. Actually, the conquered, if we go back to the Greek position of victory, the conquered enemies are led, were led actually in this procession. And they, they, when the procession ended the capital, they were actually killed. So, these conquered people, the defeated people here, uh, that's what I mean, these enemies, they were also in the procession. And then, when they smelled the incense, they know that their death is actually closer. And St. Paul actually is using the same image. And he is saying this procession has people who are saved, but people who are perishing if they rejected Christ. And as the incense to the, victor, to the victorious was an aroma of life, but the same incense, when the enemies smell it, it was a sign that their killing is at hand. So to them the smell of incense was the aroma of death leading to death. While to those saved, it is aroma of life. So the gospel was to the different classes respectively. That's why St. Paul in verse 16, he said, To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. Those who smell, smell the sweet savor of Christ in us, but reject Christ, then we are to them aroma to death, because they will be condemned as the last day. God will tell them, I send you my message. I send you my children to witness you, but you rejected me. Depart from me, evil doers. I do not know you. So this odor will be odor, an aroma of death leading to death. 
but unto the others a ruler of life leading to life. So the knowledge of Christ to unbeliever, how we perceive the knowledge of Christ, is a mere announcement of a dead Christ and a lifeless gospel. For them Christ is dead. He is a prophet and died. So that's why the knowledge of Christ is a rumor of death. And the gospel, the word of God, is not life. It is a lifeless gospel. That's why it is a rumor of death ends in the death. But to those who are saved, it is the announcement of a risen Christ, a living Savior, thus ends in eternal life. And St. Paul reflect on this procession. And he said, but who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for diffusing a right everywhere the Savior of Christ? What a responsibility on our shoulders to diffuse to others the sweet aroma of knowledge of Christ. Who is sufficient for this task? Who is sufficient to tell people how sweet and how beautiful is the knowledge of Christ? St. Paul is wondering, who is sufficient for these things? This aroma, which is so diverse in its effect, believer and unbeliever. And now actually St. Paul, he prepares the way to defend his apostolic mission and his apostolic authority from its attackers at Corinth who denied his sufficiency. Many people actually said St. Paul is not sufficient for this ministry. St. Paul uh, because he did not see Christ. He is not one of the twelve. So he is not an apostle. And St. Paul said, you know what? I agree with you. Who is sufficient to this ministry? I am not sufficient to diffuse the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ to people. But in chapter 3, he answered this question beautifully. This, let us read together Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. He said, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. I agree with you. I am not sufficient for this task. But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers. So if I'm speaking, I am sufficient? No, I am not. But our sufficiency is from God. Actually, who also made us sufficient as apostles, as clergy, as ministers, as his pastors. Verse 17. For we are not as so many biddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. St. Paul saying, we, the ministers of Christ, the apostles of Christ, we are not as so many. So many he is referring here to the false teachers. We are not like the false teacher. Peddling, peddling means what? To adulterate. And actually when we were in Boston with his own speech, you know that. He explained to us the word adultery. He told to us, Adultery 
has is coming from two words. Add, which means adding. Alter means another. So adultery, like adding another. So in marriage, when somebody cheat, he's adding another person in this oneness, the two shall become one. That's why it's called adultery. But the verse adulterate means also to add another. So to mix wine with water, that's adulterate. Because you are adding another substance. So the word pebble here means what? Some people is using because in Greece, many people actually, in order for gain, they adulterated wine for gain. So he's saying the Judaizers, the false teachers who want actually to add the Jewish tradition to the pure gospel. So to add the gospel of Christ, the ingredients of Judaism. He said, we are not like them. We are not like so many false teachers battling the word of God. No. But on the contrary, me and my fellow preachers speak the word of genuine sincerity and with a sense of responsibility toward God. That's why he said, we are not peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of faithfulness to God, but as from God. Because these words, we don't change. What we deliver to you is what we received from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. We speak in the sight of God means we know that God is observing us. We know as God is watching every word we say. And we are saying these words in Christ. These words that we received in Christ are given to us by Christ and proved, approved by Christ. So we are not like so many false teachers. Here St. Paul is defending his ministry. Because as I told you, many people attacked him. And he said he is not sufficient to be an apostle. And St. Paul said, yes, I agree. Who is sufficient for these things? But our sufficiency is not from us. It's from God. And that's why the word we are giving the word of Christ. We give it to you with all sincerity and in the sight of God. Know that we are accountable before God. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Do you have any questions about this? Okay, I think Rabona has questions for you. Some punishments may destroy the flesh as well as the spirit. How can we draw the line and how can we foresee the result before the punishment? That's why the punishment should not come from one person. The punishment should come from a council. Uh, and that's why when two or three, at least three, uh, persons like like the clerical council discuss together actually then if all of them agreed on the discipline on the punishment as the Lord told us if two or three gathered in my name I'll be among them it's very very risky for a person to give punishment by himself even actually St. Paul when he gave the excommunication he 
got the approval of the church. And that's why he told them, you and I, read it in First Corinthians chapter 5, you and I, uh, in, 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 with, with confession, uh, I recommend that the spiritual fathers, before giving a punishment or a discipline, maybe they need to consult with, you know, uh, the spiritual fathers or, or the bishop. Without actually releasing the information, without, you know, reaching the confidentiality of uh, the confession. What do I mean by this? If somebody came to me and confessed, for example, major sin, and I want to discipline him, and I'm not sure whether this discipline will be strong in the flesh, will strong the flesh and the spirit, and I give him to Satan. Maybe it's better for me before I give the punishment to consult with the bishop or consult with the, the, my father of confession in order to get, to get his input without uh, yani, disclosing any information about the person. Uh, that's what, uh, in this way, actually, uh, I'll be assured when two or three agree on the discipline, I'll be assured that this punishment is to save, not to destroy. Any other questions? I don't know why uh, St. Paul focused more on this person and this thing. Is it because he repented and came back? Or is because we know that Chronicles is a lot of uh, adult managers and Actually, St. Paul explained this. Uh, he's asking why St. Paul uh, just make a big deal out of this person and this uh, sin. St. Paul actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, said, even such a sin is not named. Uh, he's asking why St. Paul uh, just make a big deal out of this person and this uh, sin. St. Paul actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, said, even such a sin is not named among the Gentiles who do not know God. Because maybe there was a lot of sexual immorality. But for a person actually to commit adultery with his father's wife, St. Paul, you know, said even the Gentiles who do not know God, who are pagan and worship idols, even such immorality is not known among them. So how you the Church of Christ, you know, has such a sin among you. Abun has question. I have question. I do cross. Sad. was restored to the church. Uh, and, and the most important point in the restoration, to be a member in the body of Christ, is the peak of excommunication. The person cannot commune with the body, uh, to be part in the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then actually uh, the, the peak of restoration that the person can take communion. But as we know from the Old Testament, that with the forgiveness of David, 
some actually uh, earthly punishment continued. He told them the sword will not depart from your house. No. So forgiveness doesn't mean actually uh, removal of all the earthly discipline. But as a, a clever physician, uh, the person in charge should see what will help the soul to be saved, so he will choose the discipline whether to remove all the disciplinary action or to keep some of them in order to remind him uh, with his repentance. Because some people actually, if there is no reminder of their repentance, they may actually relapse and fall back in sin. I think there are some questions about Kida. There is a choir. So, you know, I want to finish before raising incense tomorrow. So, Fadal. There are some questions. It's very, very easy, just with one word. The first one in this chapter, St. Paul forgave a man who had sinned. Where in the Bible was the story of this man mentioned? It's on the screen. In chapter that, St. Paul and إن هو غفر لواحد أخطأ القصة دي ذكرت فين في الإيه في أي شابتر أو في أي بوك في الكتاب المقدس سيدنا أكشل قال مثل يا برافو عليك إن الفيرس كورنثان شابتر 5 the second word what would have been the danger awaiting that man if he was left for a longer time without forgiveness سيدنا برضو أنسر السؤال ده يقول ماذا كان ينتظر هذا الرجل الخاطئ من أخطاء إلا أن تقبله الكنيسة المجتمع ها يتلع الحزن وإيه تاني وممكن ان هو ايه يعني ينتحر ولا حاجة زي جودس ييأس الحزن يوصلوا اليأس ثالث واحد in verse 9 St. Paul says obedient in all things this referred to two acts by the people of Corinth one that had already happened and another yet happened another yet to happen what are these two acts يقول في آية تسعة يقول طاعتكم في كل شيء تشير إلى عملين عملهم جماعة المؤمنين في الكنيسة أحدهم اتعمل واحد منهم اتعمل اوريدي والتاني لسه ما اتعملش ايه هم العملين دول يعني أول واحدة هي ايه فورجيف طب والتانية إن هو يقبلوه تاني للكنيسة يعني أول واحدة إن هو يغفروله وتاني حاجة إن هو إيه يرجع تاني للكنيسة 
number five by showing them in presenting the man's case to the people of Corinth how did he make sure that they will forgive him يعني ايه البروف ان هما already سامحوه صح برافو عليك بس هنا هي اللي بتجاوب بس in presenting the man's case to the people of Corinth by showing them what would happen to man if they wouldn't accept him and also by showing them that there was will of Christ number six because we are not ignorant of his vices what does this verse mean in the light of the sin of the story لأننا لنجهل أفكاره ماذا تعني هذه الآية من خلال قصة الرجل الخاطئ نتكلم على الشيطان إن احنا لا نجهل أفكاره معناها إيه ها اه يعني هو الاول بيقود للخطيه لكن هو مش هدفه بس ان هو يقود للخطيه بعد كده ان هو يقود للحسد على الخطيه وبعد كده ايه الياس هو ان سام بول منشند ذات ذا بريزنس اوف تايتوس ديورينج هيز هاردشيب كومفورتد هيم اند وين هي كود نوت فايند هيم انا اخيت When St. Paul mentioned that the presence of Titus well, God comforts his followers during their hardships by different means sometimes through other people how is this shown in the chapter? بيقول ايه بيقول ان ربنا بيعزي ولاده من خلال متاعبهم بطرق مختلفه منها احيانا من خلال اشخاص اخرين ايه وشات الاصحاح على كده اه صح هو انسان بول منشن ذات ذا بريزنت اوف تايتس ديورينج هيز هاردشيبس comforted him and when he could not find him in Torahs he was not able to preach يعني هو بيتعزى بيه لدرجة ان هو لما لقوش في Torahs ما قدرش ان هو يوعز ويخدم question number 8 what would be the result of enduring hardships joyfully what would be the result of enduring hardships joyfully ما هي نتيجة احتمال الألام بفرح؟ إيه؟ الصبر. لا إيه تاني غير الصبر؟ من خلال الإصحاح. إن إحنا رائحة المسيح بتبان فينا 
فعني عاملين زي الفحم لما نولعه وتحط البخور يتحط عليه البخور ما تطلعش ريحتها لما يكون الفحم والع طيب نمبر 9 The word of God is effective and powerful regardless of people's reaction to it What verse in the chapter confirms this truth? يقول كلمة الله قوية وفعالة بغض النظر عن رد فعل السامعين ما هي الآية التي تؤكد ذلك؟ بس كم؟ لا زود واحد كمان to the one a saver from death unto death and to another a saver from 